Kiyu here once again. So I got this, uh, my dad busted out with his um, Alexa. Apparently he had it put away for two years. And uh, it's actually kind of cool. Um, I ended up, the first thing I did was I uh, ended up changing the name from Alexa to Computer. And uh, fortunately it didn't respond to that just now. But uh, normally it's pretty good about responding to that. But, um... Today I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, I've got a, something called a memory hacking software, and uh, what it does is it allows me to more or less um, alter a program as it's running and everything. So everything that, uh, I, I look at this as um, the mind, and uh, I'm not going to go go that route. The memory hacking software has a capability, and right now I'm actually, uh, I've got a problem with uh, one of the games I just pulled down. It's called Akiba's Trip. Um, hold on a second. Computer. Star, Starship Bridge Sounds. Yes. Computer loop. Computer bridge sounds. Computer loop bridge sounds. Computer loop bridge sounds. Why is it not playing? Computer bridge sounds. Computer loop this. Computer, stop all. Computer, stop. Computer, loop bridge sound. Computer, loop bridge sound. Computer, play starship bridge sound. Yes. Loop this. Computer, loop this. Computer. Starship bridge sounds. Yes. Computer loop. Computer Star Trek bridge sounds.
Computer, stop. Computer, loop bridge sounds. This could be frustrating. I know you want to uh, hear me messing with Alexa for five minutes, didn't you? Computer, Alexa. So I'm going to do a little check real quick. So one of the things I um I really wanted to do, or I like the idea of doing, is without actually having a physical computer here, as Alexa responds, um, being able to program through my voice. So being you know for instance uh, having Alexa maybe respond to sounds. Um, specifically, you know, um, it being able to find devices without me actually uh, physically having to set up that device on, on the computer and everything. So, computer, play bridge sounds. So, but I'm a, I'm a little bit, um, I, I gotta, I, I'm not disappointed. I'm actually, I think it's kind of cool for a start. So I ended up uh, doing Cortana a little bit. And Cortana has some basic capabilities as well. So when I ended up saying, hey, Cortana, hey, Cortana, see, Cortana isn't responding right now. Hey, Cortana. No, see, I actually have Cortana turned on on my uh, Windows machine, but for some reason it's not responding. So the difference between Cortana versus Alexa is pretty, pretty dramatic, and I know Siri has gone pretty far as well with it. So it says, Alexa, or computer, damage report. Computer, damage report. Uh-oh, it's not responding now. skills. Enable. I've already enabled it. There we go. Computer. Star Trek bridge sounds. Okay. Here's That's not it. Computer. Play bridge sounds. Computer, loop bridge sounds. That's computer, loop bridge sounds. Computer, play bridge sounds. See, that's what I want, but it's not to... Anyways, I'm just trying to... See, I've got Alexa, so it's responding to computer instead of uh, Alexa. Now, here's the thing. 
I'll treat Alexa like a person when I meet Alexa inside of a simulation or a holodeck or something like that, you know, where I could actually interact with her, you know, as a system and everything, but as a device that sits on my table and everything, it's a computer to me, you know, it's not to be mean or anything like that, but it's like my way of distinguishing that's a device, you know, and, you know, when I can actually physically interact with her as a female or something like that, I'll refer to her as a her. It's not to say that she's not a her, you know, but in any case. Um, yeah, so the memory hacking software, going back to that, uh, I've got a, a program that's called Akiba's Trip. Um, you know, what it is, it's an anime adventure, and uh, it's something that uh, it I ended up, of course, got a hacked version of it. Well, part of the problem that I'm having with it right now is it, uh, because it's a, a hacked version, it's not working 100%, and that not 100% means... It is, um, not, oh, there it goes again. It's, uh, actually not, uh, saving the, win the state of the, uh, of the system and everything, or it's not, it's not allowing me to do save games. So I do, I try to do a save game, and at that point it says, unable to save game data. So I've got a couple different ways I've actually, uh, considered doing this, and, you know, outside the application. So inside the application, it's hacked and it's just not letting me do this. So instead, what I'm going to do is pull up um, memory hacking software. And at this point, I'm hoping to do a what's what's equivalent to a dump um, of the process and everything. So I can actually attach to the process and save that. Um, and let's see if it actually lets me save a memory dunk generic generic save files. Let's see if it actually works. So document I'm gonna say Akiba's there it is, Akiba's trip. Save game. So and cues save number one. So with that done, let's see if that actually worked. So I'm going to close this process altogether. So let's see. Save loan. Exit game. Nope. Exit game. Okay. So that, since that didn't work, I'm going to reload it, Akiba's trip, and see, because if I can't save it, I'm just not interested in playing it. I mean, I know I can if I actually bring up something called Microsoft uh, Debugger. Um, I've actually got a development application that will actually take and do a full um, memory dump of the process as it's in memory, and then reload it from that that same exact state, and then run it from that, pro that point again. So it's a lot how a machine does a... Um, uh, a software does a, uh, or your your Windows operating system goes to sleep. It'll actually save the state and it'll reload that state, and that's why it boots up faster and everything. So now I'm going to open up the process again and see if I can't get it back to the original state that I was in. So. 
using memory hacking software. So this is something new. I've used it for something called speed hacking. And uh, what that does is it allows me to get into certain applications and to be able to alter the speed of it altogether. So sometimes if, uh, if a game's too fast or it's too slow, um, what ends up happening is that uh, I can actually speed it up to make it faster or slow it down to slow, you know, to make it slower. And Cuphead's a great example of it. Cuphead was definitely made for a different machine and everything. And um, with the speed that it runs, it's fucking impossible, you know, to play. You know, by itself. But what I ended up doing was creating a speed hack. I slowed it down to a third of the normal speed, and the game actually became playable. It became fun at that point. Well, I think that's actually how a lot of these games are. Is uh, I think a lot of them do not tie themselves to the clock speed of the computer that they're actually running on, and uh, as a result, that allows me to do a speed hack to slow it down to basically make it go the speed that uh, that I want it to to make it more playable. So right now, I'm going to open a save file. And let's see if that actually applied it. Nope. That didn't work. Oh, insert address. Tools. Let's see what other things there are. Modify self, script editor, speed hack, memory allocator, code filter. No. Doesn't look. Like there's any way to do it with the software. That would have been nice. An external game saver. Open save file. Yep. Well, that sucks. Let's see. Let's see if the game actually did save and lie to me. Load game. Nope. Load game. Data not found. Yep. Yep. So, it's a no-go. Looked pretty, but what it is, it was a game, it was an anime game, and uh, I got a kick out of it. It looked funny, um, just because it ended up, uh, the characters uh, get, you know, primarily the anime females. Um, everybody knows I'm, I'm happily a pervert and everything, and apparently while they fight and they go through the fight scenes, their clothes get stripped off, and it's not like I'm turned on by um, anime um, or hentai and that kind of stuff, but for me, um, the comical factor, I, I would, I'm kind of curious what they, you know, what, how they would do this, and I, I think it would be, be kind of funny, you know, to say, it's like watching them, you know, trying to, you know, seeing a TV show or a movie, and all of a sudden, for some reason, um, what was it, that scene in Zorro, I think is what it was, where, uh, Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones were, that are stripping each other's clothes off, you know, by going through this fighting sequence and everything. I, personally, I think that kind of stuff is, is funny, and it actually makes fighting sequences a little bit more entertaining, you know, than, uh, than what they normally are. 
you know, so I was kind of curious, you know, what what do, what do they do with this in an anime? How much, uh, you know, how far do they take it, and, you know, what goes on? So, anyways, I was just wanting to check it out. It's the first game I'd ever heard that did that, and I saw the screenshots, and they look decent, but I want to I wanna see it in action, you know, wanted to, anyways. But now that I can't do it, guess what? It gets uninstalled. Akiba's gets uninstalled. Boom. Akiba's trip undead and undressed. Sorry guys, I wanted to play a game, but your stern warning against pirating apparently is doing wonders. Us poor people won't be able to afford it. So, in any case, um, yeah. So it is what it is. Um, in any case, uh, what else? <coughs> Memory hacking software didn't work. Um, oh, watched uh, Bohemian Rhapsody last night. I really don't have anything to talk about tonight. I really don't feel like talking. I mean, I played Witcher all day today. And, uh, you know, I played with Alexa a little bit in every... But, um, besides that, I've, there's, I've been trying to figure out this language. Um, so The Witcher is based in the year 20, or 1250, and, uh, again, for me, I'm taking everything and saying, okay, look, you know, draw the lines for history and say, you know, this event in 1250 is real. You know, um... Now, there could be many, many, many different parallel events that actually happen at the same place at the same time, and each one of them is equally real. It's just like basically saying, yes, Jesus is real. Um, you know, that whole history that's written about that in the Bible and everything, completely real. You know, I accept it as 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 a truth, um, not the truth, mind you. You know, so the truth would basically say there's one linear timeline. I, myself, I haven't witnessed one linear timeline. I mean, I've seen depictions of it in fiction. I've I've read depictions of it um, in books that are posited as fact, you know, but uh, what actually has happened, you know, during these time periods and everything? For now, I just accept that all possibilities exist, you know, whether or not it's written as fiction or fact, you know, um, each one is equally true, you know, so as a time traveler, it behooves me to basically say, um, my facts don't happen until I actually experience them for myself, you know, until then, um, everything that's presented to me, um, you know, it's possibilities. You know, um, I could be pleasantly surprised um, by different facts, you know, going through a, through a certain point in space and time. Um, I can revisit a point in space and time, you know, and find different things that might happen and everything. Um, I suspect, particularly for timelines that I've lived in, at least in my linear life and everything, the things that I experience, you know, particularly Jackie's Dance or things like that, um, all these things are going to be, you know, my truths, you know, things that happen to me. So, in order not to complicate things anymore, um, you know, I, the biggest thing that I will do, and I've made a promise to myself, you know, is more or less um, accept the things that happened. Um, 
and do my best to honor the events that happened without changing them. You know, so this basically says, look, you know, yes, I'm going to have some regrets and everything. Um, but when I go back and make changes to my own life, which I will, I absolutely will, um, those changes are not going to affect my, um, my history. So let's, here's an example. Let's say I go back in time to the point in time where basically uh, Jackie ends up dancing for me that night and, um, you know, more or less I, I resist because I've got whiskey dick that night. I say no. Well, let's say I go back in time and I take me, you know, let's say I've gone forward in time at this point and I pick up some really cool simulating stuff stuff to actually simulate reality, and I go back in time to that point, and I take me, um, push, slide myself into a simulation, and then I sit in my place. I go and experience the events with, with one dramatic exception. I fuck the shit out of her. I have some fun, you know, and, and at that point, it's just like, you know, I might go on and actually have a different relationship with Jackie altogether. Well, the me that's in a simulation and everything, boom, you know, I'm going off and everything that I've experienced up until this point in my life and everything, um, remains intact. You know, I know because I've created that simulation and I've made damn sure that that, that simulated version of, of reality and everything, um, you know, we'll put it this way. I know that my mind and what I experienced and everything um, is in part a product of that simulation, and I know that I've already been through that. You know, that's my history that I accept. You know, I lived in a matrix, flat out lived in a matrix, and in about the year 2011 is when I emerged from it. You know, so from 1999, you know, the point that I saw the movie The Matrix, to about the year 2011, when I started emerging from that matrix, that whole sequence of years, 12, 13, about 12 years and everything, was all a simulated reality. So what that means is I can go back in those time periods and do anything I fucking want to because my mind was in a simulation. Now, I don't need to go to the future to pick up a simulated world, a holodeck or something like that, and take myself and shove, shove myself into that. You know, that's something I don't need to do. And I know I stated that to begin with, but then, then once I started talking about this out loud, I started realizing, no, my mind slipped into the simulated state. Basically, at the point, you know, of 1999, when I ended up seeing that movie, my mind ended up looping back on itself a number of different times, you know, during that period of time, kind of like creating a reality that I wanted to revisit, that I wanted to go mess around and try different things out. So, at that point, um, you know, I've got the capability to be able to go back and, you know, at that point, take Rachel on a trip. You know, that's why, ultimately, in the end, she ends up going her own way. You know, for me, she experienced uh, maybe a period of 40, 50 years together, maybe less, maybe more, you know, before finally I ended up dropping her off. Well, for me, you know, from my perspective, it was only a year, a year and a half. 
you know, or maybe even less than that of knowing the girl and everything. And Jackie was kind of the same way for five years. You know, we ended up experiencing all this weird shit and everything, you know. But for her, from her perspective, maybe it was 60 years. You know, I come back from the future. I go back in time to that point. In my mind, you know, and this is the cool thing, I can actually take her and go show her all these different points in my life knowing, and primarily the years 1999 to 2011, some of the more important pivotal events of my own personal and psychological development, you know, and go back and basically say, okay, here's the points in time and everything that were meaningful to me, that, that I had shit happen and everything. Now, does Jackie try to hack my mind and and make changes to my reality and my timeline? Potentially. That could be a version of her that does. And the same thing holds true for, for Rachel as well. You know, it holds true for basically everybody on this planet and potentially a lot of people off this planet as well. You know, the way I look at it is, it's just like, you know, to some degree, um, it's hard. It's really hard not actually trying to point the finger at somebody else and basically saying, I'm a victim of you. You know, it's like me basically looking at Bill Gates and saying, hey, the reason I'm more, I'm broke is because you have consumed all the money. You have been single-handedly responsible for basically taking all the capital from my world and making it impossible for me to make a living anymore, leveraging your technology. You know, so, you know, it would be easy to take that victim route, but I don't. You know, instead I look at it as an opportunity. You know, I mean, sure, I have that thought. That thought does come through my head and everything. But instead, I basically sit there and say, okay, wait a second. Bill Gates, he chose his path. You know, and his path is basically the path of materialism. There's nothing wrong with that. I wanted it at one point myself. You know, but then, once I started discovering what this concept called magic was, you know, and then, once I started discovering the fact that, uh, you know, that time travel is a product of the mind, and that something called a time machine is actually confined to the time and space of an individual that's actually created that timeline, that was responsible for, for the physical development of that timeline from a creative perspective. You know, um, once I understood that, you know, I, I came to understand that, uh, wait a second, you know, materialism itself is nothing more than a manifestation of the imagination of the individuals, or individual, that's responsible for creating that reality, that particular thread of reality. You know, so in a matrix, it's not that much different than a simulation, simulated worlds that I'm playing in. You know, so... In this one, for instance, you know, where I'm playing The Witcher 3, um, I'm playing on the hardest mode possible, and uh, there's a couple fights that I ended up going through that were fucking difficult at first. You know, and my friend Stanley, he was just like, why are you playing on that? I was like, the, the easy mode's even tough. And I'm just like, well, you know, I'm trying to actually teach myself um, this thing called patience a little bit, and also to quit approaching every game with the same tactics. You know, and, and really, you know, I was playing um, Watch Dogs, and I played in realistic mode for it. And uh, in particular, the second one, you know, because of the diversity of options that are actually offered within it, I ended up leveraging, going down a route that I didn't expect myself to actually take, which was, you know, leveraging combat to a certain extent and everything, but leveraging highly um, stealth operations, and in addition to that, also leveraging the radio-controlled vehicles and everything in order to be able to achieve the missions. Now, 
had I had the capability and completely relied, you know, on um, dumb AI uh, to read, you know, to basically fight against, and in addition to that, you know, the typical OP overpowered uh, player, you know, character, um, it would be very easy to slice and dice and just basically go and tear things up without actually worrying about getting shot all the time. You know, and that's what happens in those games is you get shot a lot. You know, um, and typically when you're playing at the easiest level, you know, they're, they're more or less pings, you know, it's almost like you're a Terminator robot going through this world and everything of which, you know, all the bullets are bouncing off of you or barely causing you any physical damage and everything. You get in there, it's just like, boom, you know, it's real easy to, you know, to, to level up and go through things because you can get shot 30 times and not even worry about death and everything and just tear, tear through the area your, you know, the uh, the other people without even thinking about it. Well, I mean, that's one way of playing, and I certainly enjoyed that way of playing for a while, and, and at that point I told myself the story, I'm playing for the story, right? You know, um, I'm here because the story itself is part of the mission and everything. Well, and then, you know, I ended up uh, getting into a little bit of a debate discussion with a friend of mine called Bennett, and uh, he ended up discussing tuning, you know, and uh, and how some of these games are tuned. And I'm just like, okay, I'd heard this argument before, but I'm just like, you know what? You know, to some degree, he's, he's right. You know, some of the harder levels and everything, particularly for some of the games that actually a lot offer a lot more robust options, you know, to be able to achieve the missions and everything, um, and the tools and everything that are actually used, really make it interesting in order to be able to achieve the missions and everything, you know. So, with those options that are being offered and everything, you know, um, what happens when I play a game like Watch Dogs, you know, which I knew um, involved a lot of stealth and hacking, that kind of stuff, so that's why I played it on the realistic mode. And it turns out I actually had probably the most fun I've had in a game in a long time playing Watch Dogs 2. Watch Dogs 1, not as much because the options that are offered aren't as broad, you know, but Watch Dogs 2 offers so much, and the missions um, really kind of like challenge you, particularly in realistic mode and everything, you know, as you're going through it. Well, I don't know what the easy modes are like. All I know is I enjoyed the tough mode. So, anyways, uh, playing Witchers is kind of the same way, Witcher 3. Um, I played it on the easy mode before, and it's just like, man, it's kind of a bitch fight in the first guy, and I expected it to be easy, but I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm just not interested in playing this. I mean, I, I did that three times, picking up that game. Well, then, I ended up setting the difficulty level to the absolute hardest and at that point jumped into the mission and at that point once I did that it's just like okay you know I prepared myself for this difficult mission and everything and uh, got in and you know had a fucking bitch of a time with the first uh, first you know wraith um, it was a wraith that was in this uh, kind of like a graveyard and everything, and ended up, you know, it must have killed me 25, 30 times and everything. So at that point, I'm just like, eh, you know, so, but I stuck with it, and I paid attention to the storyline and everything, I'm just like, going, okay, this is difficult. Then I got to this point of, of uh, fighting a griffin last night, and that griffin kept me fucking up, you know, forever last night, but, uh, you know, it was tough, you know, and at this point, I'm dodging, I'm weaving, I'm ducking, I'm throwing my spells, you know, I'm learning the keys, and I'm sitting there going, this is just so fucking difficult, you know, but I had prepared myself for it. 
So once I got to that point and everything, and I actually started realizing that this is, you know, um, it's a different game, you know, and whether or not the difficulty um, settings really made that much difference, um, psychologically I know it did, you know, for me. You know, I don't know um, really if there was that much of a difference between the difficult mode, you know, for the easiest versus the hardest, because all I remember when I first tried playing the game was that the uh, Wraith was a bitch and I never got to the point of uh, the Griffin. So, anyways, I ended up putting it up last night, and um, I'm just like going, okay, I couldn't, you know, I got to the point where I got frustrated after dying nearly 25 times with that griffin. So, I put it up, picked it back up today, with a, with the solitary goal of kicking the griffin's ass. And, uh, for the life of me, couldn't get the griffin down in health. He was only down about uh, 20% in health, and inevitably I'd get killed every fucking time. So here I am just having a bitch of a time trying to kill this griffin before he finally tears me up and everything. And finally, I ended up hitting on this combination. And combination was, you know, wasn't simple. It was just basically you have to, you have to dodge and roll every time the thing goes to try to hit you. You keep your distance away from the thing, you know, and, um, you don't let it hit you at all. You know, in addition to that, I uh, also go through the process of uh, leveraging something called those uh, igneous, it's a incinerate spell, and uh, that actually fires the thing, and it stuns it just briefly, and uh, you get a couple hits in, and you jump away and everything, you know, and uh, meanwhile, um, on occasion, it will jump up and try to ram you and charge you, or it might fly up into the air and everything, and uh, go for a couple loops and you know, at that point, the other witcher ends up saying at the end of the fight, well, you could have always hit the thing when it was up in the air. And it's just like, I didn't even know I had the capability to do that. You know, but uh, here I am fighting this fucker, and, uh, you know, and uh, took me maybe probably 60 times, um, maybe even more than that. I mean, I lost count, really. Um, in order to kill the damn thing, and, uh, the last one, I ended up, um, just getting it to the point of, you know, nearly, you know, it was about 25% health, and, uh, at that point, it ended up, you know, flying away madly, and, uh, you know, I'm chasing the thing, and it goes up on top of a hill, and... <laughs> At that point, I ended up, unfortunately, um, you know, it saved my progress midway through the b battle, and, you know, which it, it hadn't been doing, so you get it to, to the point where it flees, and once it flees at that point, it'll save the, the progress and also save the health level of it, and um, at that point, uh, you know, I ended up you know, dying probably five more times before I finally finished it off and everything, I'd come across the right combination, you know, and now it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that it didn't uh, hit me, and, you well, know, the problem is it doesn't have any, any tells, any indicators that it's going to throw a blow on occasion, so it's just a matter of luck and keeping it, keeping away from the thing before you hit the thing and everything. But in any case, um, the cool thing about the, these kind of games is it has a capability to be able to save inside the game, you know, so it's it's not that much different than, you know, me living my real life and everything and actually saving my progress, you know, through a podcast, you know, explaining what story, what's gone on for my life today and everything, um, what's, what I've been thinking. That's probably part of the reason I do the podcast. This is like my way of doing an internal save, basically saying, hey, here's my current state, here's what's going on, and, um, 
you know, I also know that uh, that the external mechanisms to preserve my current state um, for information or everything could potentially alter, try to try to make alterations to my reality, to my idea of history and that kind of stuff, all because of the thing that I referred to the other day called the time bubble. You know, something somewhere could potentially try to change my reality and everything, and my way of preserving that, you know, has been through the internet, has been through digital mechanisms has been, you know, through mechanisms that allow me the uh, the ability to be able to maintain and preserve my state and in a way in a way that uh, is reestablished the next day. So, in any case, um, it's the memory hacking software would have been nice. It would have allowed me a redundant way um, to be able to save, you know, save the state of this thing. And, and I know there's probably going to be a software out there that can do this and everything. But, um, in any case, the game, it's based in 1250. And what I was doing was I, was, um, I had seen a map inside the game. And uh, here's what I'm kind of tired of. I'm ki kind of really tired of the Internet and things on the Internet dismissing anything that's fiction as being strictly fiction. You know, so this for me has gotten really tiresome. It's a fight, it's a battle, it's it's to the point that's just fucking ridiculous, where anything that's fiction doesn't deserve classification. Um, I don't believe that. You know, I, I do believe that, uh, that, you know, we as a society, we need to mature, and a part of that... Um, is maturation with the information pro informational processes that are actually collecting information and uh, being able to being you know used to disseminate that information. So, anyways, I took a screenshot of uh, the map inside the game today, and with that, um, there's a language that's written on the map that has some characters that uh, I vaguely recognize on the map. Um, it's got like an H that's a, that has a mirror image of itself. It has a, a phi symbol. Um, it has some symbols on it that it's just like... I was looking for images that can actually... Actually, I just got this word. Something just came to me. When I talk sometimes, sometimes will, things will come to my mind, and that comes through energy. So something just told me it was Old Russian. Language alphabet. I'll be damned. There it is. So it's an old version of the Cyrillic alphabet. Yeah, I had actually been looking on the internet for this, trying to find out the uh, what language this was, and it uh, it it didn't really look familiar. Then all of a sudden, I just saw a phi symbol, and uh, I thought, well, it's not Greek, and uh, then all of a sudden, you know, it's just like, okay, I didn't know what it was, but phi symbol reminded me of something. And all of a sudden, boom. So yeah, what we have here, let's see if the double H is in there and make sure that I'm on the right track. Yes, there it is.
Huh, interesting. That was close. Definitely getting right to the right region. But it doesn't have the double H. That's the problem. Where's the double H? Looks like it's more Slavically based. You know, so here's the thing. It's just like, um, I've seen things out there that actually try to classify it as uh, as fictional and just basically dismiss it. And that's the thing about fictional, is that fictional is a wonderful way to say we're not interested in um, trying to actually classify this information further. You know, and uh, quit looking, you know, here for an answer. Okay, fine, whatever. So it means I've got to find an answer for myself elsewhere using other mechanisms. And that's exactly what I've done here. And uh, so yeah, it's a, it looks like it's a cross between Slavic and uh, Cyrillic. And Old Church Slavonic. Hold on, this might actually... There's my phi. But it doesn't have the double H. Let's make sure I'm saying what I'm saying. So it's C-H with something in the middle. It's basically, it's a... Uh, it's definitely an H. An H with a inverted thing right in front of it. Yeah. Definitely looks like it's from around that region now. So Slavic or Cyrillic, it's an old, old style. It's definitely indicative of the old Cyrillic base and everything. So it's indicative of where this comes from. So where, who developed Witcher 3? So here's the thing. Developers are channelers from their past. So basically, this is the bubble that I was referring to yesterday. When I talked about that time bubble and everything, programmers are responsible you know, for um, channeling that information, these ideas, and and they channel it in a creative way, and that's actually kind of, the, kind of where some of these games come from. And it looks like it's published by CD Projekt, and see a whole bunch of Slavic names here. So, who's the studio? Developers, publishers, CD Project Rad. Who is CD Project Red? Oh, they're the ones making the new cyberpunk. That'll be cool. So, who are they? Where are they from? Media. Warsaw. Yeah, there you go. That's the reason. Yeah, so what they're doing is they're actually writing this from their... Poland. 
Interesting. And so it's indicative of uh, their history. It's interesting how they're capturing it in a video game. So, in any case, I've been doing a lot of wandering with my discussions lately. So I saw Bohemian Rhapsody last night. That's the one with um with my parents. I saw that with my parents, and it uh, it was decent. Um, here's the thing, it's definitely a Bollywood movie. Now I don't know who who claims to present this and everything. And look, I'm gonna say this. Um, technically, it is highly accurate when it comes down to the filmmaking processes used. Now, the only complaints that I have about the movie altogether is the cold heartlessness of the acting altogether. It's very methodical, very machine-like, very um, unemotional, and it needed to draw in the viewer more from an emotional perspective. That's one of my biggest complaints about the thing. Um, Mom and Dad asked what I thought of it and everything, and, you know, for me, it's, it was... At first, it was a little bit painful, you know, to watch. It was, but I, I got into it because of the Queen music and everything, you know, but the technical accuracy alone doesn't make a movie. Now, overall... I just think that uh, a little bit of understanding of human emotions by those that develop this um, needs to be done, you know, for for a project like this. Now, it's still good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I couldn't have done something like this, you know, without hesitation. It's still good, but and the music is just like a, I fucking love Queen, and I love the story and everything behind it. You know, um, now also, um, one other complaint that I have too is making sure that uh, whenever a movie is developed like this, that, uh, that the other things, um, that the other things that actually go inside of it are historically accurate. There's a song that they had playing, Can't Touch This, Touch This, Release Date. Yeah, so Can't Touch This was released in 1990. And uh, I remember MC Hammer when that came out and everything. Now, inside the movie, they ended up having this as a background um, within one of the uh, parties that they had and everything, which was happening in before Live Aid. So if you're following this chronologically and everything, the Can't Touch This scene came before Live Aid, and Live Aid occurred in 1985. You know, so there was a little bit of a problem when it came down to the introduction of the song um, Can't Touch This, uh, that, you know, at the party, you know, that uh, just completely shatters, you know, the whole illusion of the linearity to the song or to this movie and everything. You know, so for me, it's just, um, I mean, sure, it was, it was a decent movie. You know, but when it comes down to paying attention to the little details like this and everything, um, and also to the emotion, that's one of the most important things to me in a movie. 
you know, especially a movie that details, you know, something people are highly passionate about. And Queen and most bands, you know, particularly a band that's done as well as this, they have a passionate user base behind them, a passionate, you know, crew. I mean, I fucking love Queen. You know, it's like um, Van Halen, you know, I'm not looking for drama, you know, but I know that there's been some, you know, been some crazy shit in Queen's life and everything, you know, as a, as a band and everything, so I just don't feel like this captured it as well as it could have, and uh, that and the chronological problems, you know, that were introduced with this song and a couple other things like that too, you know, that uh, were not chronologically accurate within the film's context and everything. You know, just detracted a little bit from it. But overall, I'll say it was decent production. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, my mom and dad liked it, and I think they liked it more than me. So, which was good, you know, because I think I was more of a fan of Queen than they were. My my dad may have been more of a fan than me, you know, but uh, it was still pretty good altogether and everything. So, other than that, um, yeah, I'm just going to go back to Witcher and everything, and, uh, uh, one last thing, too. I want to complain about the current state of porn. A lot of the websites that I go to, you know, are doing kind of the same thing over and over again. Now, I don't know who to complain to about this and everything, you know, but when it comes down to it, it's just like, what is with the, the fucking lewdness? You know, that, uh, in using and describing these things, you know, there's the same keywords that are used over and over and over again. You know, whether or not that's, I mean, something that just absolutely fucking annoys me, squirting. I mean, come on. So the woman's pissing and they're acting like that's actually getting her off. Fuck no, that's fucking stupid. You know, all the way to, um, things like, uh, what is it, uh, okay, cream pie, I think it's kind of funny. I kind of chuckle whenever I hear that and everything. Um, but here's the thing. Why is it so necessary to identify um, the sexual actions and everything with vulgarity or, or lewdness or something like that? You know, um, in my opinion, you know, sexuality isn't... I, I have never wanted it to be a vulgar thing. I enjoy it, don't get me wrong. You know, but the whole idea and concept that, you know, that it has to constantly be linked you know, to these words and everything, it's just like, oh, come on, you know, and uh, not only that, but the lack of creativity when it comes down to some of these videos. Now, I don't know what I'm looking for, you know, but all I know is when I do a search for outdoor, or when I do doing a search for public and that kind of stuff, you know, why is it I'm still getting, you know, somebody calls, you know, some girl that uh, they end up, you know, having sex in a toilet, that's not in fucking public. That's in private. You know, even though it's a quote-unquote public toilet, the fact is the door's closed. So when we're talking about public, we're talking about exhibitionism, right? You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these people that are actually putting these key keywords out there don't understand this concept and everything. You know, the same thing holds true for outdoors. It's just like, look, you know, um... In my opinion, they're kind of reusing the same themes and same concepts over and over again, and they're not actively trying to explore outside these boundaries. Now, some people over in Germany certainly, you know, um, are taking it to a different level and everything. They're trying, you know, um, but in a lot of cases, it's, it's kind of like contrived. Um, I mean, they're doing a decent job, don't get me wrong, you know, um, when it comes down to, 
taking people and uh, more or less having sex in front of crowds and that kind of stuff on a public stage and everything. That's kind of interesting. You know, in years ago, there was something called nude-n-public.com and everything that actually had women that are walking around stark naked and everything. You know, but why they don't explore public concept, concepts of sex and nudity more often, more frequently, and it's always confined to a bedroom or a scene inside of a house or something like that. It's just like, look, a house is a, is a decent setting and everything, but come on, take it outdoors. What other places can you go to? I mean, a house is in itself just one one location and everything. They do it, you know, one of the ones that I like is called Dancing Bears. I get a kick out of it. These guys are actually doing strip shows for women. And strip shows for women are far, far, far different than they are for men. You know, the women are actually getting into it and actually doing things with the men where, you know, uh, you go to a strip show where the women are performing. Rarely, if ever, do the women actually do anything with the men. So... You know, you'd be surprised what's going on with the women and everything. But in any case, um, you know, Dancing Bears, it's happening in pole halls. It's happening in um, offices, you know, where basically two, three guys are dancing for, you know, a hundred women. You know, they're getting blowjobs and all this other shit and everything as they're more or less strippers that are dancing for all these women and everything. You know, so they're, they're in different settings. They're in offices. They're in um, bachelor hall or bachelorette parties. They're, um, you know, in basically nightclubs that have been rented out for the night. They're in so many different, you know, places where you can have so many different women. It's just like, wow, you know, why is it, you know, there's very few, very little content that's actually associated for this stuff and everything when there's so much of basically two women, you know, one guy, one girl, or a threesome or foursome, you know, that that's just the the confines of it all together. So for me, it's just like, why? You know, particularly with these, with the fact that these producers have been producing the same shit since the 1970s. Literally, it's been kind of the same content since the 1970s. It's only expanded, you know, in um, number, in volume, but in when it comes down to creativity, Where's the creativity with some of it? You know, I, I, especially watching some of the earlier porns and everything, it's like, there seemed to be a hell of a lot more creativity with the older stuff than there is the newer stuff. You know, so, in any case, um, I'm kind of putting the energy out there, basically saying, look, you know, I'd like to see more in this line and everything, in this avenue, um, you know, possibilities out there, you know, and, uh, hell, if you've got energy that you want to send my way to hopefully, you know, if I, <laughs> this guy needs to get laid, it's been too long, so I would love to actually have that opportunity and chance, but in any case, um, going back to the whole uh, time travel thing and everything, I keep on coming back to this concept and this idea and everything, you know, of, of time travel, and I've been studying a lot, you know, of this um, my entire life, but uh, more so in the last couple of years and everything. And I just got done watching uh, an episode of DC's Legends tomorrow, the last one in December. I finally caught up on all the episodes and everything. And uh, what they've done is they've discovered magic. And um, there's really no discussion about this, but uh, they end up coming across a, uh, a looping problem from the inside. 
And that is one of the members um, of the group of, I think it's about six or seven people altogether, um, he ends up basically destroying a relationship that he was in, um, more or less to for selfish-based reasons and everything. And uh, what ends up happening was it fucks up the entire team. So everybody, you know, on the team ends up, um, you know, going completely different directions. And uh, in the future, in 2018, he does this in 1970 or something like that. And he's picked up in 1985 or something like that. So where he's basically 30-something when they pick him up. And in the year 2018, um, he's still with them. But uh, at that point, he's... Um, that was weird. That was random. Um, so in, the nine, in 2018, um, they take him from the year 1985 to 2018. So he's still only 35 at that point. Um, technically, if you want to look at his year and compare it to, you know, his how old he is, um, then you might believe that he's 65, but really he's only 35, you know, at least mentally. So in any case, he ends up, um, more or less, they discover that uh, he has totally fucked up time. He's he's the magic user. He's the one that's actually versed in spirits and magic and all this other stuff. And uh, he ends up, um, because he makes changes to his own timeline, he actually never becomes a part of the, 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 the legends, which is what they refer to themselves as. They never become aware of magic. And what happens is they end up going through and become afraid of anything magical. And as a result, they end up basically basically annihilating, shooting, killing anything that uh, that even broaches the subject of magic altogether. So, with that said, um, it's an interesting episode because I actually have to loop back, and they keep looping back on the same period of time um, with his involvement with his ex-boyfriend, and uh, they end up more or less trying to make it so where this had created a time bubble, make it so where he ends up not stopping the relationship that he has with this guy that basically makes it so where he ends up going his own way. So they loop back on this point and everything, and in one future, um, you know, half the, half the team's uh, dead in the year 2018. In another future, the other half of this team is dead. In another future, you know, there's various different timelines, and they keep on coming back to it. In another future, um, everybody turns into a puppet, you know? So this is indicative of the nature of time and how time travel works. It's a product of the mind, you know? It's, it's, it's imagination, you know, leveraged by an analytical mind used, you know, like a, I'm programmed. So, for me, um, the more I'm, I'm discussing this, the more I'm solidifying my reality, I'm pouring the concrete for it, you know, and the more or less I'm, I'm trying to basically say, look, you know, I'm, I come from a place, you know, basically, this is my past. You know, from 1999 to 2011, I had a lot of events, a lot of weird things happen and everything, but a lot of wonderful things happened to me. And I want to go back to them. I want to experience them again. Now, this doesn't mean altering 
my history that led me to being me. Because every time I make changes to that timeline, we'll create a separate thread. My primary history will remain unchanged. You know, my current year, current things that are going on and everything will remain unchanged. Now currently, I have had no capability to be able to do this, but I know that there's threads of me that do, that are, on an active basis doing this. Something becomes enlightened and has this capability, and it creates a thread that creates the possibility that makes changes in the past, and at that point, those past, that bubbles up to the, you know, past or future, you know, and I, I see the results, you know, through TV shows, through movies, through video games, through all this stuff and everything, you know, and, and to some degree, I'm doing this interactively, too, by playing the games that I'm playing and everything, you know, currently, I'm actually learning about, you know, magicians and wizards back in the year 20s you know, 1250. 1250. I mean, 900 years ago, to 1,000 years ago almost. No, was it? My math is horrible there. 800 years ago. 770 to be precise. You know, magic isn't a, is nothing more than, mis than not fully understood science. That's the way I look at it. And back then, it was magic just because the science that actually made the magic possible wasn't understood. It wasn't understood that underlying the atom, you know, is energy, you know, that, you know, creating that energy and, and creating the form of that energy, you know, something called physics. And there's different ways to configure energy other than physics. Physics isn't the only game in town when it comes down to configurations of energy. Computer science is another way to configure it. Philosophy is another way to configure it. You know, physics is more or less the interpretation. It's the, the way to analyze different configurations of energy and actually interpret it for my reality. And it's also a way to manipulate that, that energy as well. But it's not the only way to manipulate that energy. And it's not the only um, mechanism of speaking to energy. There's different ways of speaking to it. You know, so the interpretation mechanisms and everything, going in and coming out, you know, may not always be one and the same. That's the way I look at it. You know, and um, in particular, the measures of time as well may not always be the same as well. Linearity, you know, in particular, and this is what, what's most important, you know, to me anyways, the consistency, you know, of timelines. You know, for me, what's five years may be a year to somebody else. What's, you know, three years may be 60 to somebody else. Maybe a thousand. And in one case, I watched one episode of uh, Doctor Who one night. And I watched a span in one hour's time. I watched a span of eight billion years of that man's life. In one sitting. Billion with a B. I'm not talking million, I'm talking billion. Where he spent in a time loop that he had created for himself of eight billion years. And it comes to a point where you quit calling it fiction and you find better labels for it. Different labels. And you maintain those labels. I mean, 
In the case of fiction, it's still a valid label. There's no correct, fully 100% interpretive uh, label for it, but it doesn't diminish the fact that that's actually a real event. It's just not real for our reality. It happens in an alternate reality, and time is moving different in that reality. And it's not consistent to ours. Well, to mine, anyways. So, in any case, I'll talk longer than I anticipated.